Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Welcome to those joining us online as well. Yes, a happy Easter Resurrection Sunday to you all. What a glorious day. It was great to see in Riverston this morning, the fog was thick and kind of cresting into Castle Hill. It was like clear and just a great reminder of the light of the world, Jesus, that he is risen. He is glorious. He is good. We'll be in Mark chapter 16, if you'll turn there. We'll go through this together. Yeah, a great passage and reminder of our risen King. Let's pray. Praise you, Lord, for your awesome works, for redeeming us, for providing a Savior, for giving us eternal life, for forgiving our sins and having plans that involve us for eternity. We are so grateful, Lord, to be called by your name, to be able to gather, to be able to sing, to, uh, to extol and magnify the name of Jesus Christ, our Messiah and the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, who makes intercession for us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. And we pray that we would draw near to you with our whole hearts today to hear from you and to rejoice in your salvation, to walk in the light of the gospel and to proclaim your goodness now and forever, in Jesus' name. Amen. It was just over 25 years ago, uh, love for Laura prompted me to buy a ring and to build a crate and to coordinate with my coworkers to drop me off on her driveway to propose marriage. In a crate, yeah. I was in amongst the uh, lawn ornaments, the... Uh, plastic flamingos, and yeah, it was, it was tremendous. But I, I did so, we had talked about marriage, and I was eager to start a life with her, and, and I expected her to say yes. I didn't go through that, like, wondering, oh, is she going to say yes? I was pretty sure. She wasn't going to be happy because it was early in the morning, but she would, she would say yes. And I was glad that I asked to see her smile, and not just like, Ugh, but yeah, she was rejoicing and it was like, and, and thinking, all right, I expected her to say yes. I didn't know how it was going to turn out, but she said yes. And there was about 2,000 years ago, there were some women going to the tomb of Christ, uh, expecting to find a, a dead body, the late Christ, who they were going to anoint. And they were very surprised with what happened. Something totally unexpected to them happened, but it was something that had been predicted that Jesus said, I am going to rise the third day. And the scriptures had said, Jesus, the Messiah, would rise. And it just makes me think that we can have an expectation of what God is doing. We can totally forget that God's involved. And holidays can be routine. Our days can be a grind, a routine, where we don't really expect God to do anything. But I pray that God would do things in our midst. He would work in us. He would open our eyes to truth today that we've never considered, that it would be real, that we have a Savior, we have a King. Blessed are those whose eyes are opened to see Him and those who draw near to Him in faith, whose hearts are touched to believe. Let's pick up our passage in Mark 16, starting in verse 1. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. 
And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. Jesus had been crucified on a Friday afternoon. He was buried in a new tomb carved out of the rock. There was a large stone rolled across the opening. He had been anointed with like 33 kilos of spices or uh, perfumed oils and then wrapped in linen. Sabbath law, it prevented, they were in a hurry because the Sabbath was coming. That would be Friday night at sundown. So they hurriedly prepared him, placed him in the tomb. The tomb was sealed. And because it was Sabbath, they could not work the next day. So they couldn't go to anoint him. There was only, they were limited in how far they could travel and had to, were restricted from anything considered work. So verse one, it says, Sunday at dawn, the first day of the week, early, they came to anoint body of Christ. So Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. And he had already been anointed, but this was likely to reduce any smell of decomposition and just to show him love and care. They were going to honor the dead. And as they walked along, they said, well, wait a second. We saw where he was laid, but who's going to move that stone for us? It's way too big for us, but they went anyway. Like I would think, well, there's a big stone there. Can't move it. Why go? But these ladies, they, they wanted to honor him, so they went. They didn't know what they would do with this impossible obstacle, but we're going anyway. But that was only one of the obstacles. They didn't mention the fact that the tomb had been sealed with the seal of Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. And to break that seal meant the death sentence. So that was a problem. And also it was guarded by Roman guards who were guarding the tomb with their life, lest anyone come and disturb the body. So they didn't mention those obstacles, but they were real, obstacles that they couldn't overcome themselves. But when they arrived, what did they see? They saw that the stone had been moved away. This was not what they expected. Wisdom speaks in Proverbs 8, 17. I think words fitting of Christ. It says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. It's like the stone was not an obstacle, the seal not a problem. That guard, that detachment that was protecting it, preventing anyone from disturbing the body, those were all moved aside by the power of God. I think sometimes we can focus on the obstacles, can't we? We can say, well, there's an obstacle to this person hearing the gospel. There's an obstacle to me doing this thing God's called me to do. And these obstacles are really lame excuses that keep us from obedience to Christ. When, they stand, when that thing is preventing me from doing what God has called me to do, we should trust him and move forward. Matthew Henry wrote this, Those who seek Christ diligently will find the difficulties that lie in their way strangely to vanish and themselves helped over them beyond their expectation. So this isn't what you want to do. This is about what God is doing and us Uh, obeying him to do that, to seek Christ, to draw near to Jesus, and then he will lead us in what we're to do. Think of these ladies that went to honor and bless the dead. How much more should we seek to bless and honor the living Savior? 
Mark 16, verse 5. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They enter the tomb, and there's a man sitting there, a young man clothed in white, an angelic messenger who says, they were alarmed. He says, don't be alarmed. Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're seeking, he's not here. He is risen. There's several times in the Bible where people were resuscitated or revived when they had died, and they came back in the same body that they had previously, like uh, the widow's son in Nain or uh, Lazarus, right? He, he was raised back to life, but that body that he lived in, it ultimately perished. It went the way of the earth. Um, Lazarus could not loose himself from those grave clothes, Jesus said, loose him and let him go. But Jesus, he not only loosed himself from the grave clothes, but he was loosed from death and also loosed from death all those who trust in him. Jesus was resurrected. He was raised to life in a new body, a glorified body, an immortal, incorruptible body, which we will have someday as we trust him. And the angel, he tells the women, to return and give a message to the disciples and to Peter especially. And it's like, Peter, he was the one who had denied Jesus three times. And he wept bitterly. And the Lord just showed such grace to him to give him a special encouragement to return when he was the one who had uh, denied him. I like this quote from C.H. Spurgeon. He says, If any of you have behaved worse to your master than others, you are peculiarly called to come to him now. You have grieved him, and you have been grieving him because you have grieved him. You have been brought to repentance after having slidden away from him, and now he seals your pardon by inviting you to himself. So it doesn't matter what we've done, how far we've wandered, how unworthy we feel. We are not worthy to know the Lord to be restored to him. But he invites us to come. He bids us come in faith to be forgiven, to be restored and reconciled. This requires faith to receive that free gift, to seek him and to find him. Now, seeking is something you have to do intentionally. It's not because you've sought him. It's because he's promised that he will be found by you. Every year when I was growing up, we had a family tradition of a big Easter egg hunt at my grandma and grandpa's house. And the prized thing was the golden egg. And uh, so my, my aunts and my mother, they would get stuff together. They would pack all the eggs. They would hide them in the yard. And the yard was like an acre. Of, it was a big yard. It wasn't just like in the living room. It was like, there was a, we knew. We knew that somewhere out there, there would be a golden egg with 20 bucks in it. And we were going to find that egg. And it was always the last found because it was the best hid. And they would send the littlies out first and the older kids, and then the adults would go too. And everyone's looking for this egg. And it would take an hour to find this egg. And it, it could be in a gopher hole. It could be up in a tree or in the junipers or behind the bins or near the big cactus that was in the middle of the yard. And uh, we just knew that golden egg is there. Has anyone found the golden egg? 
No, haven't found it. Give us a hint. Is it on this side of the yard or that side of the yard? And so we were always like, it was all about the golden egg. Just thinking, 20 bucks won't even buy breakfast anymore. We'd spend an hour looking for this egg. Won't you seek the risen Savior today? Isn't he of more worth than just money that perishes? And what's more special? An egg, and this is something I didn't get as a kid when I was little. What's more special, an egg with 20 bucks in it that you found? Or the people that love you enough to prepare that and to plan and to rejoice when you find it and not them? And that's who we have in our Savior. He has provided everything for life and godliness. He has forgiveness for us. He has a future. The giver is more valuable than the gift. The love he's shown us is the greatest of all. And all the blessings that you have, they cannot be compared with the greatness of God who has given them to you. So when you count your blessings, say, these things are, are nothing compared to the God who gave them all to me. He is to be celebrated. He is to be worshipped and praised. Jesus had plans for those ladies. He gave them a command. And he had plans for Peter too. And he has plans for you and me that are good because he is good and glorious. Mark 16, verse 9. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been sent by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Jesus appeared first in person to Mary Magdalene, who then went in obedience to the command of the angel to Jerusalem. She met with the apostles. She said, he is alive. I have seen him. And they didn't pack their bags for Galilee, did they? No. We read that two of them did go to the tomb to see what, if it was actually empty or not, but they weren't traveling to Galilee. They went back behind closed doors, locked themselves in for fear of the Jews. They were mourning and weeping when they heard this glad news that Jesus was risen. The testimony of a woman in ancient Israel was not admissible in a court of law. Yet God chose to reveal himself to these ladies to spread his truth, to spread his resurrection news. Those who, were lo those who loved him and sought him were chosen by him, used by him to proclaim the gospel, this good news to others, that Jesus is risen. Even though they didn't obey, even though they didn't believe, they were faithful Jesus appeared to two as they walked along the road to Emmaus. It says in another form, they didn't, he was just a traveler to them. And it wasn't until they broke bread and he prayed over it that their eyes were open to see that is the Christ, who, Jesus, who, who disappeared. And they went right back to Jerusalem and said, guys, Jesus is risen. They didn't believe them either. They were still mourning and weeping. And, and we see here that unbelief keeps us from such joy and peace and contentment when we don't really act like Jesus is alive, we don't believe it because we're not experiencing that. We can have that mournful effect on us because of unbelief. 
Finally, Jesus appeared to the 11 apostles despite their unbelief. And this is awesome. They didn't believe. They didn't believe the women. They didn't believe the men, those travelers along the road to Emmaus. But Jesus came to them anyway. So it doesn't depend on us trying to get the message across. God is going to communicate his message. He uses us, but he came to them. And this word that he rebuked them, it's a very strong word. It's the only time this word is used in describing Christ and his conduct throughout all the New Testament. It means to revile, to rail at, or reproach. It's like you've heard, they had heard him speak. They had seen the miracles. They had heard, they read the scriptures. He had explained them to them. They had the testimony of fellow believers. They could have gone to Galilee to go see him, but they didn't. So he appeared to them and he rebuked them for their unbelief. They stubbornly would not believe that Jesus was risen from the dead. And if they can have unbelief and hardness of heart, can't we? Now, we may believe that Jesus is raised from the dead, that he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for our behalf, but we may not believe that the gospel actually has power to save sinners today. Oh, that hardened sinner, they're not going to respond to that. They're not going to believe. And so we don't obey to proclaim the good news. We look around the world, we can be filled with fear or apprehension, whether personally in our lives or a circumstance that we see that's out of our control. When Jesus sits on the throne, when he is alive and reigns on high, and we're steeling ourselves against the forces of darkness with our shield of faith, forgetting that Jesus is the light of the world that drives the darkness away without a fight, and we think it depends on us, when it's he who gives us the strength to stand, having done all to stand. Let's confess our unbelief. Let's confess our hardness of heart that cowers in fear, that refuses to trust God's word, our folly that shrinks from obedience to him. Let's confess that. Let's be done with it because we have a risen Savior who loves us, who redeems us. And when we take personally that rebuke of Christ, the consolation is yours. You don't have to remain in that place of guilt anymore because you serve a risen Lord, a Savior who forgives Mark 16, verse 15, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. In the workplace, people are chosen for roles because of their qualifications, their skills, their training, their performance. Jesus chose his disciples by grace because he is sufficient, because he provides the strength and endurance we need. And he says he commanded them to go out into the, in all the world and preach the gospel. It wasn't so much where they were going, the emphasis is on what they were supposed to be doing, how they were supposed to be living, that they were supposed to be leading people being disciples of Christ, and making disciples of Christ. And if we're unsure about the fundamentals of the gospel, what is the gospel message? We read it in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1. 
Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which you also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. He goes on to say that there were many hundreds of people that witnessed Christ raised from the dead, and that he, these are the, the basic tenets of the gospel. Based upon this, this is where our salvation rests, upon the power of Jesus Christ, his power over death, his ability to give new life and salvation and forgiveness to all who trust in him, saving us from eternal death and hell, and saving us for an abundant life now and in heaven with him forever. Verse 16, it says, those who are born again and baptized will be saved. It's unbelief, not the lack of baptism that condemns those who refuse the gospel. Baptism, not essential to salvation, but definitely essential to obedience. He's commanded us, if he commands us to baptize, well, we ought to be baptized ourselves in identification with him. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he demonstrated all the signs of life, right? He stood, he talked, he knew their names, he ate food, he, he could respond to external stimuli. He was like a real person, um, conscious. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit is present in the life of his followers. They will have signs of spiritual life. And he's saying, my believers, my disciples, wherever they go, the signs of spiritual life will be in them. With praying, people will be healed. They'll be protected like Paul was on Malta. Remember, he's gathering sticks and that venomous snake latched onto his hand and he just like flung the beast into the flames and the natives are like, hmm, he's obviously done something very wrong to have suffered this. He's escaped the judgment of the sea because he had been shipwrecked, but you know, just nature's justice won't allow him to live. And then when he was fine, they say, oh, he must be a god. There was some sort of spiritual life in him that they couldn't pick. But it was Jesus. It was the power of Christ in him. So the lives of Jesus' followers, they will be adorned by his testimony, by his, the testimony of a renewed life, a life of God's power, grace, and love, where it wasn't there before. It's him living through us. And it's not signs that the disciples of Christ are supposed to seek, but as we seek Christ, it says the signs would follow those who believe. So there would be spiritual evidence of that reality in their lives and in ours. Finishing the passage in Mark 16, verse 19, So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. We read of the ascension of Jesus alive into heaven in Acts chapter 1. Jesus was received into heaven. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's like atonement had been provided. Salvation was offered. The work was finished to pay for the sins of lost humanity. The victory over sin and death was secured. An entrance into heaven was made for all who trust in him. And when you buy an item at the shops, you receive the item and, and an invoice. 
Uh, and there's, there's likely in the paperwork somewhere like a guarantee of uh, quality or a warranty information. It's like when Jesus died on the cross, his blood was the payment for our sin. His resurrection was the invoice or the proof of purchase, the fact that he was raised to life. The Holy Spirit who fills us, he's the guarantee. He's the down payment of our salvation, that God is going to make good on saving us as he's promised. And Jesus being ascended up into heaven, it's like a warranty. It's been stamped by the Father. And he says, this is genuine. This is acceptable. And in the same way that he has been raised to heaven, he will also draw us uh, at the end of our days or if uh, he catches us up to be with him. I think it's a great demonstration, Jesus ascending to heaven. Have you ever gone to the shops and there's a demonstration going on? Maybe the Easter show and knives or something that you really would, wouldn't even consider. There's this demonstration happening. You know, ShamWow guys over there. And you're like, oh, what's this? That's interesting. So it gets your attention, right? There may be a bit of an amplification going. Some like, oh, but that's not all. Just wait. You can also get this. And you're like, oh, what could I get? And so you start paying attention to something that really you don't need. You have plenty of things that would do the job, but this is cool. And then you're telling other people how cool this is. Like, yeah, I can cut through a boot with this knife. I won't serve you the boot, but, but it could do it. You know, it, even with a steel shank, I could just carve through this sucker. But the point is, God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, and he demonstrated his power to save us by Jesus ascending to heaven. And they all saw it, all the disciples. So they went around saying, look what we have in Christ. We have new life. We have salvation. We have forgiveness. We have purpose. That's glorious because God is the one who's called us. God wants us to love him back. We can walk away from the demonstration empty, like, ah, it's not really worth my time. It's not worth my effort. I, I don't need that. Or we can say, you know, this is a free gift I can receive, that I can be forgiven, that I can be accepted in the beloved, that I can have a place in the body of Christ. You, have, you want me to be with you forever? God wants us to love him freely. And we have that opportunity now and every day that he gives us on this earth. Now, the disciples, they were obedient to the command. They had been rebuked for their unbelief, but they went and they preached the gospel. And we gather today because of the saving power of their witness, right? They, sent, they brought the word. And here we are in Australia all these years later, and we're still proclaiming it by his grace because it's real and true. It's not a fable. In verse 20, it says, the efforts, through, in their efforts, the Lord was working with them and confirming the word, the scripture, through those signs of spiritual life and power. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 3. Again, they weren't called to seek or to follow after signs. The signs followed them and pointed to Jesus. And having received Jesus by faith, we join those as eyewitnesses of Christ's glory. And why should we seek for signs when we can seek our Savior? Let's look for Him. He is risen. 
Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. The Jews did not receive as a nation the testimony of Christ and his followers. There were many who did, and the world may not receive our testimony. But no, we testify of what is true. We have seen it. We have experienced this new life. Because the Lord is working in us, he's working with us, he's confirming his word, and our call is to lay aside the weights, the sin that easily ensnares us, lay aside our unbelief that uh, God's not going to use me or God's not going to accomplish what his word has said. Actually, acting like Jesus is in a tomb when he's risen and he's glorious. And today is a day where we consider and remember Jesus who died on the cross. We'll have a time of communion now. We remember that his body was broken, his blood was shed, so that we could have eternal life through faith in him. Baptism is a good picture. We are baptized on the outside because of the work the Holy Spirit has done on the inside. So in identification with Christ, in obedience to him, we're physically baptized in water because it's what's happened on the inside, right? So there's this outward show of, that's aligning with what God has done on the inside. And it's the same thing with receiving communion. Receiving communion, when you eat of that bread and that cup, it is showing that we are his, that we have, been, we have partaken of Christ spiritually by faith. So the Holy Spirit's living within us. And so there's an agreement. It's like if you're taking communion or being baptized without being born again, it's like flashing a fake ID and it doesn't, it doesn't accomplish anything. Uh, the Lord knows our hearts. So today is the day to trust in Christ, to say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he did die, he is risen, and he is alive. And I put my faith and trust in him. Um, and so what we're going to do, just to explain how this is going to work, because we want to be careful about physical distancing, we'll have the elements passed around. And so this is for believers. Everyone's welcome to join. And those parents who have kids here, that's your call if they know the Lord or not. Um, but it's just, it will be some grape juice and a gluten-free uh, cracker. Just, we want to be sensitive to people's diets. Um, and if I could have the team come up, we will pray together. And during the song, this will be passed out. So once the hubbub is settled... When I was a kid, I always wondered why it was so small. Like, this is a little cup and this little bread. Like, I, I would like more juice, please. But the, the point is not that you're thirsty. 
And the point isn't that you're hungry. The fact is, you have been satisfied by Jesus Christ. He has filled you. You are born again. You have new life through him. And so you partake of this in obedience to him and to proclaim his death, that demonstration of love till he comes, because he's coming and he is alive. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for being our Savior. Thank you for forgiving our sins. Thank you for a hope of eternal life that you have through Christ and that we can proclaim your death and resurrection till you come because you are a glorious king who will return, who will judge the nations. And thank you for sparing us, for atoning for our sins by your sacrifice. And I pray, Lord, that you would show us what weights and sins are ensnaring us, what, what burdens we're carrying that we ought to lay at your feet. Lord, give us that uh, divine unction to know your will, to walk in your ways, to seek to please you, to walk in faith. And I pray that you would be honored and glorified, Father, as we seek you now, as we sing these songs to praise you. Unite our hearts to fear your name. Put in us great humility as we humble ourselves before you, coming to you as our King, Lord, and Savior. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.